Now it's good to see everyone here tonight. Thank you so much for taking the time to be here. And I trust the Lord will give help and each one of us will be mutually blessed as we share in the good things of God tonight. I'd like to read a number of scriptures. The first is found in 2 Corinthians and chapter 4, please. 2 Corinthians and chapter 4. Second Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, seeing we have this ministry as we have received mercy, we faint not, but have renounced the hidden things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have received this treasure in earthen vessels, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Our second reading is in the Song of Solomon, please, in chapter 5. Song of Solomon, chapter 5. <clears throat> the Song of Solomon, familiar verses, I'm sure, to many, if not most. Uh, we'll read from verse 9. What is thy beloved more than another beloved, O thou Fairest among women, what is thy beloved more than another beloved that thou dost so charge us? My beloved is white and ruddy, the chiefest among ten thousand. His head is as the most fine gold. His locks are bushy and black as a raven. His eyes are as the eyes of doves by the rivers of waters, washed with milk and fitly set. His cheeks are as a bed of spices, as sweet flowers, his lips like lilies dropping sweet-smelling myrrh. His hands are as gold rings set with a barrel. His belly is as bright ivory overlaid with sapphires. His legs are as pillars of marble set upon sockets of fine gold. His countenance is as Lebanon, excellent as the cedars. His mouth is most sweet, yea, he is altogether lovely. This is my beloved and this is my friend, O daughters of Jerusalem. Now Matthew's Gospel and uh, chapter 17. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 17. Reading from verse 1. And after six days Jesus taketh Peter and James and John his brother, bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. 
And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elias talking with him. And then answered Peter and said unto Jesus, Lord, it is good for us to be here. If thou wilt, let us make here three tabernacles, one for thee, and one for Moses, and one for Elias. While he yet spake, behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them, and behold, a voice out of the cloud which said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And when the disciples heard it, they fell on their face and were sore afraid. And Jesus came and touched them and said, Arise, and be not afraid. And when they had lifted up their eyes, they saw no man save Jesus only. Isaiah chapter 50, please. Isaiah chapter 50. Isaiah chapter 50 and verse 4. The Lord God hath given me the tongue of the learned, that I should know how to speak a word in season to him that is weary. He wakeneth morning by morning, he wakeneth mine ear to hear as the learned. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiters, and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting for the Lord God will help me therefore shall I not be confounded therefore I have set my face like a flint and I know that I shall not be ashamed Uh, now Psalm 17 please Psalm 17 appreciate your patience with a number of readings tonight just read the last verse of the psalm Psalm 17 and verse 15 As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. And a final reading in Revelation 22. Revelation 22 in verse 1. And he showed me a pure river of water of life, clear as crystal, proceeding out of the throne of God and of the Lamb, In the midst of the street of it, and on either side of the river, there was the tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their foreheads, and there shall be no night. There, and they need no candle, neither light of the sun, for the Lord God giveth them light, and they shall reign forever and ever. Now I trust the Lord will will bless these scattered readings uh, from his word this evening. And I trust that what we have to say, uh, while we do appreciate there will be some doctrinal teaching Uh, as we just consider the instruction of these verses tonight and what the Lord would teach in the verses. And while there will be practical uh, teaching tonight uh, in relation to the implications of these uh, verses and this subject matter for our daily Christian lives and daily Christian living, uh, I I trust tonight that the the main theme of the meeting will be that of a, a devotional teaching Uh, And I trust that our hearts will be touched tonight, uh, just as we consider something 
uh, together concerning uh, the, the face of Christ or the face of the Lord Jesus. Now many, if not all, will have sung, uh, perhaps more in younger days, uh, will have sung, if not the whole hymn, at least the chorus, uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, uh, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And I trust that will be our portion tonight as we just consider uh, these verses that we have read, these references to the, the face of the Lord Jesus and the different aspects of the face of Christ. Uh, and just that the Spirit of God might so move in our hearts tonight uh, and that we might just be able to, to a fresh glimpse the face of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. That, that is the desire of my heart. I trust I'm preaching to myself more than to anyone here tonight, uh, just that, that the things of earth might indeed be strangely dim in the light tonight of his glory and his grace. We're thinking of the face of Christ. We're thinking of the face of Christ in relation to glory. And we read in 2 Corinthians and in chapter 4, we, we read that God has shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And so there is associated with the face of Christ the glory of God. And so as we think of the face of Christ tonight, we are thinking of glory and the glory of God that we see in the face of Christ. And then as we read together in, in the song, the song of Solomon, we, we are thinking of the beauty. Uh, and as the bride would, would uh, in the absence of her beloved, and, and as being asked uh, why she is so desperate to find him, uh, and to be restored to his company, uh, what is your beloved more than another beloved? It's the thought of beauty, isn't it? Uh, and she can say that he is altogether lovely. And so in the face of Christ, there is the thought of, of glory, the glory of God. Uh, and there is the thought of beauty. Uh, and just to think of that together for a time this evening, the beauty of Christ uh, as we see it portrayed in the words of the of the bride in the Song of Solomon. And then as we would visit that holy mount so described by Peter, and we would think of the majesty associated with the face of Christ. That, that's how Peter described it. We're going to think of that. When Peter remembered that day so many years afterwards, he said, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. And on that occasion, they saw his face transfigured uh, before them. And so there is the thought of majesty. Uh, uh, and then as we think of the words of the prophet Isaiah, uh, there's the thought of the ignominy of his face. Uh, I knew when I started to say that word, I'm not going to manage to say this word. Uh, and it's not even a word that we use today. But, but, you know, some people have got such a problem with addiction to alliteration that they want something to end in Y. Uh, the word really just means the shame and the disgrace 
that was associated with that face and the shame and the spitting that he endured we'll try not to say that word again Uh, and then we want to think of the fidelity of his face The, the faithful servant of Jehovah who would not turn back and who Isaiah said set his face as a flint and who Luke records for us that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and we want to think of the thought of fidelity and faithfulness in service and you can see as we think of that this evening I'm sure you can see while you can see the beauties of the Saviour I'm sure you're applying that to yourself and you're thinking uh, of the practical implications of that and then there is the thought of expectancy in Psalm 17 and the, the, the psalmist is, is in, a, in a, a great deal of affliction and he is in a great deal of anxiety uh, and we're going to see that as we come to Psalm 17 and we're going to think what is it that will strengthen him and buoy him up in the midst of his apprehension and his anxiety and his affliction Uh, and he just says this as for me I will be satisfied when I awake in thy likeness Uh, and he says I will see thy face I will behold thy face in righteousness and then there is the thought finally of joy associated with the face of Christ the wonderful joy in the words recorded by the Apostle John when he sums it up so beautifully with the words and they shall see his face so we just want to think very briefly about these things tonight we want to apply them uh, to our lives we want to try and stir our affections together this evening uh, and and just to I I love the words of, of the hymn I'm not even sure what book it would be in. Uh, Show me thy face, one transient gleam of loveliness divine. And I shall never think or dream of other love save thine. All lesser light will darken quiet, all lower glories wane, and the beautiful of earth will scarce seem beautiful again show me thy face I shall forget the weary days of yore the fretting ghosts of vain regret shall haunt my soul no more all doubts and fears for future years in quiet trust subside and not but blessed content and calm within my breast abide show me thy face Uh, just that we might see his face uh, this evening in the scriptures and by faith and that we might just be blessed as we do so the psalmist in psalm 27 could say hear O lord when i cry with my voice have mercy upon me and answer me when thou saidest seek my face my heart said unto thee thy face Lord will I seek and so we are thinking tonight of the face of Christ 
We're thinking of the glory associated with the face of Christ and the way that the Apostle Paul describes that in 2 Corinthians uh, and chapter 4. We're think, as we think of the writing of Paul uh, in that letter to 2 Corinthians, we, we uh, went through it in, in the Bible class just uh, last season, I think it was, 2 Corinthians uh, a lot of chapters that you wouldn't normally be taking up perhaps but, but we enjoy just thinking of the the Apostle Paul and, and we enjoy just thinking of the letter that he was writing and the reason for writing the letter and how it was really a, a defense in many ways uh, and how the Apostle Paul was having to, to defend himself uh, because of the accusations and the attitude of these fellow believers towards him. Uh, and so they, they doubted his very sincerity, uh, and they, they doubted his charity, they doubted his love, uh, and they doubted his ministry, uh, and so they, they doubted so much about him, they doubted his ability. They said, you know, we've got better preachers now. You know, Paul was okay back in the day, but we've got super apostles now. And they doubted his very ability and his authority and his credibility. Uh, and Paul, they, they doubted his very integrity. They, they said that this Paul, you know, he said he was coming to see us and, and he changed his mind and, and you can't really believe what he says. Uh, well, the apostle Paul is writing uh, to... to in, in a measure to defend his position before the Corinthians. And so he's writing to defend his ministry, he's writing to defend his motives, and he's writing to defend his message, that which he preached. Now let me just say, uh, by way of practical application tonight, that the Apostle Paul uh, did say in one place that it's a very small thing to be if I'm judged of you you know he says let a man so account of us as the ministers of Christ and, and in a sense personally uh, Paul wouldn't have been defending any personal accusations against himself you know people that just didn't like him if, if you know what I mean uh, the reason Paul was writing this defense of his ministry and of his message and of his motives was he realized that these accusations could have an impact on the gospel and on the ministry and so that is the reason so the reason for the defense is not that he was personally upset he may well have been but it was the impact that this would have on his ministry and he realized that he realized that was something he needed to de to defend uh, so, so notice in these verses, if your Bible is open, it's 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Uh, notice the, the principle that he, he uh, emphasizes in verse 1 uh, as he resumes a theme that he has mentioned in chapter 3 as he's speaking about the greatness of his ministry. In chapter 3 he spoke of the old ministry. He said it was the ministry of the law. It was the ministry of death. But now we've got the ministry of life and the ministry of the new covenant, and the ministry of, of the Spirit. Uh, and now he says in, in verse 1, Therefore, seeing we have this ministry, we, uh, we have as we have received mercy, we faint not. Uh, and he's just really uh, 
emphasizing again the fact that this ministry that he has, he's received it from the Lord. And there is a dignity and an authority associated with it. And he is a minister of the gospel. And that has a much higher calling than those who would seek to minister in relation to the old covenant. There is a dignity associated with the ministry of the gospel. And Paul says, having received mercy, we do not lose heart. I think it's interesting that someone like the Apostle Paul says we do not lose heart. It makes me think there was the potential to lose heart. And maybe you're here tonight and you're feeling that acutely in your ministry for the Lord, in your Christian path. The, the, the expression there to lose heart, uh, to faint, it's the thought of losing courage. It's the thought of, of losing confidence. And perhaps you're there tonight. Well, well, when God gives a ministry, he gives mercy that enables us in that ministry. And so the apostle says, we are not going to faint because of the dignity of our ministry and because of the mercy that we've received from the Lord. So there's a wonderful principle that Paul says, we are not going to faint because we have this ministry. It's a God-given ministry and he has given mercy to us that we might not faint. And then notice in verse 2 his practice. Uh, notice that he says we've renounced uh, the hidden things uh, of dishonesty. That which is disgraceful and that which is shameful. Uh, and not only have we renounced the hidden things of dishonesty. Uh, and not only are we not walking in craftiness uh, and handling the word of God deceitfully. But by manifestation of the truth. We commend ourselves to every man's conscience. And Paul is making it clear uh, that there may be some, uh, and, and we should be aware in our day and in our generation, there are some who in handling the word of God will do so with craftiness and will do so, do so dishonestly and disgracefully. And we should be aware of that. You know, I'm not saying we should be looking for heresy under every stone, as it were, uh, and be going about really suspicious of everything, but we should not be naive. There are those who will take the truth of God in relation to the gospel, and they will add to it. And there are those, and they will stop short of, of the fullness of it, and they will take away from it. And there are those who will mix it with other things. And notice... Uh, Paul doesn't only renounce these things, but notice in relation to himself, it, it speaks of his own integrity, that, that we preach not ourselves. Uh, and we should be very careful, you know, in any speaker or any teacher or any preacher that is seen to be promoting self and promoting their own agenda. Uh, so, so we need to be very careful about these things. Uh, so we see the, the principle and we see the, the, the preachers uh, in these verses that we've read. Uh, but, but then we see a great problem in the verses. We see uh, in verse 3 that it's possible for the gospel to be hid. Now Paul's making it clear the gospel is not hid because of the way he preaches it or because of what he preaches. But our gospel may be hid from those that are lost. Why is that? The apostle tells us in the next verse. In verse 4. He says our gospel may be hid 
because the God of this age hath blinded the minds of those that believe not. And so he speaks of the, the, in the words of the hymn, the whole world being lost in the darkness of sin. And he speaks of the work of Satan in deceiving men and women. And as I was just meditating on these verses this week and thinking about this message for tonight, you know, I, I was sitting at work sometimes, uh, you know, not neglecting my work now, but, but I was sitting in a room full of people in a meeting. And I was just thinking about this verse. That the God of this age has blinded the minds of them that believe not. And there's just a darkness. And there's just a veil over people. People that we meet. People that we engage with. People you meet in holiday. People you meet at work. People you meet at school. And there is just a darkness. Uh, and while they are responsible, you know the apostle says that they are, th these people are them that believe not. But yet Satan has so worked in their hearts and he has blinded them. Now, now let me come to the, to the thought of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. I think as the apostle thinks of this, thinks of the darkness and the, the blindness uh, and the problem, he, he, he's, he's cast his mind back to his own, his own experience. Uh, and as he thinks of it, he says, uh, God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness has so shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God and so not now blinded by Satan but now seeing the glory of God the glory of the God of heaven and we see it as we see our need met in the person of Christ and when did that happen Paul? Well, that happened in an occasion in my life. He, he could have told you, he would have said, I was so blind. And I just thought I was doing right. And I thought I was doing the service of God. And I had letters in my hand, in my possession. And I was persecuting Christians. And I was on the Damascus road. And I was in darkness, blind. But suddenly, there was a light from heaven above the noonday sun. And as I looked up into that light, I saw the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And he was wonderfully saved and wonderfully converted. And I think that's what he's speaking about. And he compares it to the work of creation. And he says, remember in creation that the earth was without form and void. And, and, and there was darkness over the face of the deep. And God said... Let there be light. And the light shone. And the Apostle Paul says, And so it was when I was saved. He says, my, my heart was as dark as that creation. And God didn't speak. God actually shone right into my heart. And what I saw was the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus, whom you persecute. And I think Paul's using the plural language here. He doesn't say God has shined in my heart. I think he's just saying everyone that has come to the knowledge of God's salvation, it's just the same. You were just as dark. And apart from the intervention of God, 
apart from the sovereign purposes and grace of God shining into your heart, you would be in darkness still. And so would each one of us. But God has shined into our hearts and we have seen the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And all of us can identify with the words of Charles Wesley when he could write long my imprisoned spirit lay fast bound in sin and nature's night thine eye diffused a quickening ray I woke my dungeon filled with light my chains fell off and I was free I rose went forth and followed thee the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ in relation to the salvation of the soul come with me to to the Song of Solomon as we think not now of the glory but the beauty uh, that we see now that we've been saved now that the light has shone into our hearts uh, and that is the thought in the Song of Solomon uh, I can't remember now is it, is it a thousand and five or is it a thousand and five hundred songs that Solomon is said to have written and yet this one is called the Song of Songs which is Solomon. This is the pinnacle of his songs and it doesn't picture now a soul coming into that relationship but it is a soul that is in relationship with the king and so we love to think of it don't we as a picture of our relationship with Christ. Uh, I want you just to think about that bride and as we think about her I want you to think tonight about your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice her delight. This is someone who found her delight in Christ. And there's a challenge for each one of us tonight now. You know, there will be things in life that just delight our hearts. And there are things in life that we'll be so delighted with and delighted about. But, but I wonder now about our delight in Christ. Singing together tonight, Jesus is the name that charms us. And though, you know, as she thought of her beloved, she said, my beloved, it's as the apple tree among the trees of the wood. And she said, I sat down under his shadow with great delight. And so she had a, a great delight in her beloved. And, and we see that in the, you know, she heard his voice and she says, the voice of my beloved. And she catches a glimpse of him. She, she sees his face. Maybe some of you can look back in that time and you just saw a face across a crowded room. And it maybe just gave you a kind look. And it maybe just smiled at you. And maybe just changed your life forever. That's how she felt about her beloved. And just to catch a glimpse of him. And he's skipping on the hills. And she sees him through the lattice. And she's delighting in him. And delighting in his presence. And in his company. But, but then I want you to notice. If we were to have read together. At the beginning of chapter 5. I want you to notice her disappointment. Uh, her disappointment I would judge in herself. Because here she is. It says she sleeps. But her heart wakens. And it's the voice of her beloved at the door. Uh, and she hears him in the handle of the lock. 
And he's saying to her, Awake, my beloved. And she says, Oh, I've just in bed and I've just bedded down everything and, and, and I'm just comfy. And, and, and she hesitates. And when she goes to the door, she finds the mirror in the handle of the door. But he is gone. And oh, the disappointment of her heart. And what a contrast to the delight that she has in him. And yet something has come in. There is a complacency has come in. Perhaps in the same way that it did corporately at that church that we read of in, in Revelation 2. When the Lord Jesus could say to them that you have lost, you have left your first love. And, and that is the position that she is in. And she just wasn't as quick to respond. And so quick to want to be in the presence of her beloved. And so she hesitates and she finds herself bitterly disappointed. And I would judge that each one of us know in measure what it is to be there. To be disappointed in self and to have lost to a degree first love conditions. But then she had a great desire. In another chapter it speaks of her seeking him whom her soul loved and rising and going about the city in the streets and in the broad ways and seeking him whom her soul loved and of her devotion to him when she could say my beloved is mine and I am his and then her description of her beloved as she looks upon him and as she thinks about the face of her beloved she says my beloved is white and ruddy the chiefest among ten thousand she says he's white he's absolutely pure he's absolutely perfect he is impeccable this is my beloved, not a stain left a mark in this world, not a stain. Each one of us perhaps will leave a stain more than we leave a mark. But he is white and ruddy. Remember it said that of David, didn't it? The, when he came in from the field to be anointed, he was ruddy and of a goodly countenance. Uh, and not only so but he's the chief among 10,000 he's the standard bearer he stands preeminent among all other men fairer is he than all the fair among the sons of men no mortal can with him compare the hymn writer says and then his head is the most fine gold the deity and as we think of that we think of Psalm 139 how precious are your thoughts to me, O Lord, they are more than I can number. The, the deity of Christ and his thoughts towards us. And then, and then his eyes, she, she thinks of his face. His eyes are as doves. You'll notice in your Bible it's in italics as, as the eyes of doves. His eyes are as doves. And so there is the thought of his eyes. And so we think of the eyes of Christ and the tenderness of them I suppose to be able to describe someone in this way you need to be very close to them 
Uh, and, and that is a challenge as well, isn't it? And to think of the, the beauty of the face of Christ and his eyes as dove's eyes. He looked on me, O look of love, my heart by it was broken. His cheeks as a bed of spices, the fragrance of his cheeks. And his countenance is as Lebanon. And he is altogether lovely, the beauty of Christ as described by the bride. And then in Matthew chapter 17 we think of the majesty of his face and we remember that occasion when he went up into that high mountain. Uh, And so we think of the mountain, uh, perhaps Mount Hermon near Caesarea Philippi. Uh, Jesus had been in that region in Matthew chapter 16. Uh, And so he's in a mountain. Matthew's gospel is 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 the gospel of mountains. Uh, the mountain of the sermon on the mount he went up into a mountain to teach the mountain of his temptation uh, the mountain of transfiguration that we read of tonight uh, and so it's the, it's the mountains in Matthew's gospel and then the men that he took with him those privileged three disciples who were so privileged to be with the Lord Jesus on these uh, occasions and the majesty that they saw on that occasion when he was transfigured before them the thought is that he was transformed his form changed completely before them and he was shining uh, before them and you might remember there was an occasion when Moses his face did shine but it has been rightly pointed out that Moses face shone uh, because of the reflection of the glory of God but the Lord Jesus as he was transfigured before them uh, this was not a reflection this was a radiance of what was within he is the uh, he is the expression the, the express image of God and he is the effulgence of his glory he is the radiating of the glory of God and on that occasion they saw his majesty and how wonderful just to think of that and to think of the memory of it as Peter looked back of it he said we were eyewitnesses of his majesty when he received from the father honor and glory and the voice came from the excellent glory and so we see his face shining in majesty and as we just ponder for a few moments the, the meaning of that, what, is, what are we meant to understand by this transfiguration, this transformation and the majesty that was seen in the garments and in the face of Christ? And I would judge what we are seeing is a future day and a future kingdom when he shall reign. And we are seeing representatives of those who will be there perhaps. Uh, If it's not too fanciful, we see there was one there who did not see death, who was translated. And there was one there who was buried. And so there are representatives in that coming day of those who were translated and did not see death. And there were those who were buried and were raised again. Uh, And so I think we are seeing something of a kingdom Uh, where Christ will reign in relation to his majesty and then in Isaiah 
and chapter 50, we, we notice the shame and the disgrace uh, when he could say that I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And just to think of the shame that he endured. What a contrast from the Mount of Transfiguration and the shining of the majesty of his face. And yet not long after, at the end of that journey to Jerusalem, we see the shame. And prophetically the psalmist could say, shame hath covered my face. And we see the this, this spitting. Let the words come with freshness to us this evening. In Matthew chapter 26 and 67. Then did they spit in his face. How disgusting that just seems the thought of it. To a mere mortal. But to think that they spat in his face. To think of the scarring of his face. When Isaiah could write in another chapter, in chapter 52, that his visage was so marred more than any man and his foreign more than the sons of men. And to think of the smiting of his face where they smote him with a rod and they smote him with their hands and they plucked the hairs from his face. And so we think of the ignominy and the shame and the disgrace that was heaped upon his face. But think of his fidelity. Think of his steadfastness. Think of the words of Luke's Gospel, chapter 9 and verse 51, and it came to pass when the time was come that he should be received up, he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. I like the words of that hymn that says no unforeseen event e'er took him by surprise. Toward the cross with fixed intent he moved with steadfast eyes. He knew the reason why the father sent the son. He knew that he had come to die a man for sin undone. The scourging and the scorn, the worst that men could do, the meaning of the crown of thorns lay open to his view. And yet, Jesus knowing all things, he steadfastly set his face. I find that touching. I find that challenging this evening. When I think of my own heart, when I think how quickly I would shrink back from the consequences of following in the steps of Christ. When I think how I would prefer not to put myself in situations of, of potential conflict or scorn or hardship or suffering. And sometimes that can be seen in our faces. And yet he steadfastly set his face oh that we might take courage and take heart and be challenged by it tonight and that we might steadfastly set our face to follow in the steps of Christ and then in Psalm 17 
we, we love to think of these words. The final verse of the psalm reads, As for me, I will behold thy face in righteousness. I shall be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Uh, the psalm is one of, uh, not that many psalms, but it is one of the psalms that is described as a prayer. Uh, it is described as a prayer of David, and one has described it as a model prayer. And the, 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 the psalmist, David, is, is appealing to God. Uh, in the first five or six verses, he's appealing to God on the basis of his own righteousness, not his self-righteousness now, but in relation to that which he is going through, he knows that he is, is righteous, and he know that, knows that he has his integrity, and so he's appealing to God on the, on the basis of this, and yet still he is not complacent, and he appeals to God not to allow him to slip, but to hold him up. And he's appealing to God. Uh, and he's also appealing uh, to God for protection. And so we find uh, from verse 7 to, to 12 or perhaps 14, we, we see that there are enemies that are pursuing him. And he's feeling the attack of the enemies of his soul. Uh, and so he's praying to God and he's appealing to God. I want you to notice with me, if your Bible is open at the psalm, how he describes uh, these people that would attack him and who are causing him anxiety. In, in verse 13, he speaks of the wicked. And then he speaks of men, uh, men of the world. In verse 14, notice that, uh, O Lord, from men of the world who have their portion in this life. And so he is being caused to be anxious, to be apprehensive, and to be afflicted because of the world around him, and the attitude and the world view, how these people are men of the world, and they're living for the things of the world. But listen to how he ends this psalm. He says, as for me, He's just saying, I'm not like that, and I don't want to be like that. As for me, I know that there is more than this life. And I know that there is coming a day when I will behold your face in righteousness. And that will keep me on my path. And that will keep me on my pilgrim journey. And that will keep me in my service for thee, and keep me in my integrity before thee knowing that one day there is the expectancy that I will behold your face in righteousness. And not only so, not only will I see the face of Christ in righteousness, but I will be satisfied. Uh, you know, the things of earth will all just pale into insignificance. I will be satisfied when I awake with thy likeness. Uh, if David had known the hymn, he wouldn't have known it, of course, but he would have sung uh, face to face with Christ my Saviour. Face to face, what will it be when with rapture I behold him, Jesus Christ, who died for me. And in the closing uh, moments of the meeting, uh, not now the expectancy of one day being in his presence, but the joy of actually being in the presence of Christ, and, and just to think of that this evening, 
the, the words of John in Revelation 22 and they shall see his face uh, and what a wonderful joy that will be to one day behold the face of Christ I'm getting a bit old uh, and as you get a bit older you start to think back to meetings that you attended uh, and, and I'm thinking back to the Inverurie conference uh, I can't tell you the year I know that I was young uh, and I remember sitting uh, and I remember our brother Robert McFeet uh, speaking about these verses in Revelation I, I think his headings were something like there will be perfect redemption yeah, and, and you know there will be no more curse uh, and he said there will be perfect revelation they shall see his face and there will be perfect reverence in service I think he said uh, and, and we can picture and we can hear his voice as he taught us from these verses what a wonderful joy that will be when we will see his face but speaking of preachers of a bygone day uh, many will also remember our brother Jack Hunter and the way that he ended many a ministry meeting when he quoted the words of that other hymn by and by when I look on his face beautiful face thorn scarred face by and by when I look on his face, I wish I had given him more. The face of Christ, the glory, the beauty, the majesty, the ignominy, the, the expectancy and the joy of seeing the face of Christ. May it stir our hearts to love and to serve him more.